be reading from the King James Version of the New Testament, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Good morning. It is good to see such a wonderful crowd this morning, and if you are visiting with us, we want you to know that we are tickled pink that you're here. Uh, you have blessed us with your presence. We are so glad that, you hear, uh, that you're here and been able to engage and worship with us, and hope it is that uh, you'll come back and be with us again and uh, that we can get a chance to get to know you. I'm going to ask you visitors if you wouldn't mind, and I have no right to ask of this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I want you to do something for me. I want you to be just a little bit brave. In just a little while, as services are dismissed, we've got some delicious food that's just over here in this other room. And I know the easy thing is to say, no, 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 we've got lunch plans down at the Cracker Barrel. We're we're, we're planning on going out here and uh, doing this. What I'm asking you is to stay and eat with some truly great people. And I can say that because I've spent time around them. I know them. And if you want to eat with a truly wonderful, loving group of people, and you can't beat the price, it is absolutely free, I would encourage you to go over there, just stand in line, get a plate, and have a seat with some people and just let them talk to you and just visit with them just a little bit. So often in our world, we have an opportunity where we don't get many opportunities, let me say like that, where we can sit down with maybe people that we don't know well or don't know at all and visit with them. But I find that in my work, there are more people than ever before that are looking for personal connections, connections that you can't get on the other end of a social media device or a, uh, a cell phone or something like that. And so it is. You have an opportunity like that this morning, and I'm going to encourage you to be brave and stay with us for lunch, if you would, please. And let us continue to be blessed by you and to certainly bless in turn. As you see on the screen behind me, part of what New Testament worship consists of is preaching. You see, in all other, uh, the other four acts that we've engaged in this morning, that is the worship and song, the worship and prayer, worship in the Lord's Supper, the worship and giving, we're able to communicate something to God and let God know how it is that we feel about him. We lift those things up to him. But whenever his word is brought out, this is the time that we have an opportunity to let God speak to us. This is the time when we have an opportunity to open up and hear, thus saith the Lord, this is what God wants for you and this is what God wants for me in my, in my life. And as we look into his word, it ought to be that we give our careful attention to the things that we see and that we hear in God's word so that we can be fashioned more into what he wants us to be. There are sermon outline sheets available inside of your bulletin if you uh, if you picked up one of those this morning. Uh, there's some extras that are out there on the table in the foyer as you exit if you'd like a copy. And uh, you can go back online and listen to this lesson again later if it's that you so choose. Let me start off this morning by saying, what is it that you see in your life as uh, indispensable? It's not maybe a word that we use very often, but it means you can't do without it. You can't live without it. 
Some people, that may be a person, that may be a husband or wife, that may be a spouse, that may be kids, a child relationship. I know sometimes that when kids grow up and they move off to different parts, you have parents that get up and they move to those places because that's where the grandkids are going to be. I can't live without those grandkids. They are indispensable. For some people, it may be something like a, uh, uh, an object, a car. Maybe a car that you've loved for years, or maybe you've uh, got, got the ability, I certainly don't, to restore something like that. And you put that car together and you say, I don't know what I would do if I lost that car. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a cell phone or a cellular device. My life is on that thing. And maybe, like some of us that I know, uh, maybe it is you lose them every other day and you realize that you're just kind of lost without them. What do you see as indispensable to you and your life? This morning, what I want to do from John 14 especially is make a case for the indispensable Jesus. There are a lot of people that would view their religious beliefs as dispensable. You know, in Eastern religions, they have a polytheistic society. That means they worship and serve a whole lot of different gods. And in fact, in the world of Jesus, there were Romans that had, or got, Romans that had gods uh, set up on every street corner in cities like Athens. And it is that if you knew that there was a particular god that you were worshiping in this uh, God society, and that God wasn't doing so much for you, you know what you could do is you could cast that God to the curb so it was. You could put that God on the, on the side of the road for the trashman to pick up because that God would be dispensable. When you talk about people and their religious practices, you know, there's a lot of people that would take a religion and say, I don't so much agree with that practice as it is. So therefore, I'm not necessarily going to do that. We've got a neighbor that's a sweet, sweet lady, and she's a, a particular of a, a particular religion. And she decided one day that her husband was so devout to that religion that she didn't necessarily want to do that anymore. And so she just said, all of those teachings, those beliefs, I'm going to set those aside because they're dispensable to me. I can do without them. But if we're trying to follow Jesus faithfully, We've got to understand that Jesus is worth following faithfully, but everything that he has and everything that he said, we absolutely cannot do without. We've got to hold on to every word that he says. And in fact, in just the book of John, if you're there in John chapter 14, where uh, David was just a moment ago, where he read from, flip over a page to John chapter 15 and verse 5. John chapter 15 and verse 5. Jesus using a metaphor of the vine and the branches and saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Know what he says down in verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is Jesus saying? I am absolutely indispensable. You cannot do without me. If you're going to be busy in work and religious service, you absolutely have to have me on your team. You have to be doing things with me at the center of everything you're doing. Otherwise, it is that those things that you're doing in vain. In fact, Paul, later on, in a passage that's famous to most of us because we've heard it in weddings. You remember that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter, and people will stand up there and they'll read it and they'll listen to it. But as it begins, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become as a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. What is he saying? Without love, I'm just noise. Love is absolutely indispensable. 
when I take a passage like that and join it to a passage like 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, God is love. And when I look at John chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus is God. I understand that I cannot do without love in my Christian service. I cannot do without God in my Christian service. I cannot do without Jesus in my Christian service. Look back, please, if you would, at John chapter 14. Let me draw three simple points from this lesson, from this passage. To give you a little bit of context, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's sitting down and he has just finished in John 13 a final meal with his disciples. He's observed the Passover meal with them. And as he begins to give instruction to them, he begins to tell them certain things and tell them about uh, what it is that his mission is and saying, I'm going away from you. I've got to leave you for a time. And his disciples, well, they've been with him for almost three and a half years. And they're looking at themselves and looking at him and going, Master, we don't want you to go away. And note how John 14 begins. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be overwhelmed by this. Don't, don't let the sorrow fill your hearts. Don't be upset by this. I know I'm going away, but it's to your advantage because I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And Thomas asked a good question. He says, Lord, where are you going? We don't know the way. How in the world are we able to find this? And Jesus uses a famous statement. John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, in talking about who he is and how he is indispensable, tells us that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And there is no going to the Father except through him. But I ask myself, in John 14, verse 6, if Jesus is those things, then what am I? What am I? What are you? Three points based upon this single verse. Number one, if Jesus is the way, then that makes me and you a traveler. That makes me and you a traveler. Back in high school, there was a popular song on the radio by a man by the name of Tom Cochran. Life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long, right? And that song's catchy, but it, it talks about a journey. There's a journey from a place, from one place to the other. You know what? We didn't get a choice to say whether or not we would be here or not. We didn't get a choice whether or not we would be on this road or not. But the fact is that we're here. We're on it. One man said, life is like a maze where you're trying to avoid all the exits. <laughs> Uh, there's some truth to that. We don't necessarily want to go through that exit and be finished with our race, do we? When you look at the teaching of Jesus and you understand those things, it's, well, you understand that there's a life cycle of a person. One man described it like this in single words. He said, our life cycle consists of spills, then thrills, then bills, then ills, then pills, and then wills. And how true that is. And how true that is. We have a beginning to our life. We have a middle to our life. And there will be, unless the Lord comes first, an end to our life. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, It's appointed a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. 
Jesus says, I am the way, and he acknowledges, brothers and sisters and friends, all of us are travelers along this way. And note this, he uses not a way, but he uses the definite article, the way. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm the way. Without me, there is no going. There is no going. No man comes to the Father. There's a journey. Nobody's going to undertake this journey without the indispensable Jesus. And Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, made a way, blazed a trail so that you and I could come to the Father and we could know him through the Son, through Jesus. And us living and walking and, and following along this way, we know that he's going to lead us exactly where it was that he went. He said, I'm going to the Father here in the same context in John 14. I'm going to the Father, but he's giving us an opportunity to follow after him. I am the way and the challenge. No man comes to the Father except through me is given to you and me. Brothers and sisters, it's only through Jesus, his reconciling ability and his blood to make us one with God. This can't be accomplished through me trying to do all of my own good works. And me trying to, to do all these good things, maybe in Jesus' name, but without his authority. But me walking along and trying to say, well, I'm generally a good person. Listen, Jesus said, if you don't have me, you don't have the Father. You can't get to the Father. You don't have me. It doesn't matter what a good person you are. Because it is that your life is going to end. And it's not going to end the way that you want it to. I read a story once, maybe you read the same story, about a 12-year-old girl. Her name was Liadnez Rodriguez. She was uh, uh, living in Rochester, New York, and you know what she wanted to do more than anything was that she wanted to run a 5K, uh, three miles roughly. She trained and she trained and she trained for this 5K, and, and as the day the race uh, drew near there in April, and, uh, and uh, uh, she got there on the, on, the, uh, on the starting line, and she took off just as the gun went off. And she ran, and she kept on running. She's in a great big group of runners, and 45 minutes into it, she began to think, something's wrong here. 45 minutes into it, she's thinking, why, why haven't I crossed the finish line yet? This is about where I, where I stopped. And yet she began to question some of the runners around her, and it turns out instead of the 5K, she was running a half marathon. And it is, believe it or not, she was finished with a respectable time of about two hours, 45 minutes. But it was that the fellow runners were encouraging her and say, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And afterwards, after she finished this half marathon, even though she trained to only go a quarter of that, there was an interviewer that went up to her and said, Mr. Rodriguez, how is it that you finished having never trained for that? And she said, this was not the race I signed up for, but this was the race that I was in. I wanted to finish well. Brothers and sisters, you're here. You're in this race that we call life. Do you want to finish well? Without Jesus, there is no finishing well. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, number two, I am the truth. If Jesus is the truth, I have to ask myself, what am I? And it implies that I am an investigator. I don't know if you like those shows with um, CSI and, and uh, uh, forensics and crime labs and those type of trucks. Well, what are those people interested in more than anything else? Who done it? <laughs> who done it? They want to know who's the culprit 
And how can we get down and make sure that we nail down the right guy or the right girl in this situation? You know what they're interested in? They're not interested in false accusations. They're not interested in trying to just pin down somebody because they feel like it. You know what they're interested in is they're interested in in truth. They're interested in truth. Have you ever thought about yourself being an investigator where it ought to be that you're interested more than anything else in truth? Considering the way that Jesus mentions himself and says, I'm the only way by which you can have any kind of relationship with the Father, we cannot be surprised that Jesus says, I supply the truth that you need in order to get to the Father. It's not just a matter of showing the way to the Father, but it's also showing the truths that are foundational and the truths that are essential to stepping on the right path and to following after. The psalmist said, through your precepts I gain understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Right in the same breath, in the same stroke of the pen, he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verses 104 and 105. As we follow after him, we recognize that Without Jesus, there is no knowing. Without Jesus, there is no knowing who the Father really is. John chapter 1 tells us that when He came down, He came down as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Why was He full of those things? Because He's revealing the nature of God. That's who God is. God is gracious. God is the God of truth. God is the one that but Scripture says He cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. And as God does not lie, and as Christ is His icon, the one that's created in His image, the one who is full of His Holy Spirit, as He speaks, He's speaking the words that the Father gave Him to speak. He's telling us about Himself as God wanted Him to tell him about Himself. You're still there in John. Flip back just a couple of pages to chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look at verses 31 and 32. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, what is his word? His word is truth. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. What's the implication of that? I can be following Jesus but not be truly one of his disciples because I'm not abiding in his word. That's a scary thought, but continue. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What did Jesus say? Without me, there is no knowing about the Father. You're an investigator. You have a responsibility to search the scriptures and see if if what it is that you're listening to and what it is that you're practicing religiously lines up with the teachings of Jesus. Flip over to John chapter 12. Look at verse 48. John chapter 12 and verse 48. Again, the words of Jesus. He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him. The word, what is that? Truth. The truth that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know his commandment is everlasting life. More on that in just a moment. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus says, the word that I've spoken, that's going to be what judges us in the last day. You know, there's a lot of good people that are a lot of doing a lot of really good things in the name of religion. 
And yet at the same time, they may not necessarily be heeding and listening to the words of Jesus. They've ceased to be investigators and started being people that are trying to blaze their own trail. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. We've got to stay with the teaching of Jesus. One more passage, John 17, verse 17. John 17, verse 17. As Jesus prays before he goes to the cross, John 17, verse 17, he prays to the Father, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word, Father, your word is truth. The same truth, John 12, 48, is going to judge us in the last day. The same truth, John 8, verses 31 and 32, is this truth that's going to set us free if it is that we abide in it. Jesus says, I am the truth. Without me, there is no knowing. Last one. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the life. What does that make me? What does that make you? It makes us seekers. Seekers. You can go back to history class and you learn about early American explorers. You might read about Ponce de Leon. In 1513, he came and he set foot on the uh, native shores, I believe, down in Florida somewhere. And the natives there, I think in an effort to try and get him away from their area, they told him, oh, yeah, Ponce, by the way, there's a fountain of youth that you can go to. You know what Ponce spent the rest of his life trying to do? Find the fountain of youth. You know what a lot of us today in our society try and do? Find the fountain of youth. When you look at our fashion industry, when you look at our cosmetics industry, when you look at the surgery industry, how it is that we have creams that are age-defying, how we have uh, ointments that are wrinkle-blasting, how we have things that are youth-invigorating. I don't know if that's even a thing, but people are asking the question, How can I live longer? How can I look more youthful? How can I hold on to what it seems like our society values so very much? There's people that are asking all the right questions. I want to live. I want to stay alive. But they're going to the wrong source as to what can keep them alive. It said Michael Jackson used to sleep in a hyperbaric chamber for years and years and years. We read about it in school and and talked about how it was that every night he went to bed thinking that that was going to prolong his life. You know what? Death still came. And you know what? You live long enough and you're going to find yourself outliving all of the people that were maybe friends and family. But death is still going to come unless the Lord comes first. People want to ask, is there a cure for cancer? You know what they're doing? They're investigating. And I hope it is, honestly, and we pray that it is, that there will be a cure for cancer one day. But also, if we fail to ask the question that there's an eternal part of me, a soul, that even after this body, for however long it continues to function the way it's supposed to, there's an eternal part of me that's going to go on unendingly. How can I prepare it so that I can have life for that eternal part of me? Because one day, the truth is, this body's going to, well, again, unless the Lord comes first, lie in a box somewhere. It's going to be committed back to the ground. From dust you came, the Lord said, and to dust you shall return. Genesis chapter 3. 
But what are you going to do about that part of you that's going to continue living and going to continue existing somewhere? Where can I go to find the answer about that? Is that something that Buddha has? Is that something that Shiva has? Is that something that the Prophet Muhammad has? Who's got the cure for death? Who's the one that can tell me how I can go on living even after I die? Is there hope for life after death? Who has the solution? We mentioned our Bible class on Wednesday night, the Romans, and how in the first century, first and second, actually all the way up till about the fourth century, the Romans were really persecuting the church. The Romans were really giving the church what for in a lot of cases. And in fact, you might have on, uh, on any given day a knock at your door there in Roman society where there would be a soldier there that might say, we hear that you're a Christian unless you renounce Christ right now, unless you're offering an incense offering, a loyalty offering to the, to the emperor and say, Caesar is Lord, we're going to take you and we're going to torture you and kill you. But as it was, those Romans began to ratchet up the persecution of the early church. You know what happened? is that instead of smashing out and stomping out Christianity like those Romans thought they were going to do, those Romans began to watch those Christians die. They began to watch them in the Colosseums and how it was that they could stand in, in, in the face of wild animals about to ripping them apart or, or gladiators that were going to kill them for sport. And they were to watch those people die with confidence. And those Romans looked at that and said, I want that confidence in death. I want to have that assurance that the soul is secured. And instead of stamping out Christianity, you know what happened is it spread like wildfire. And Romans everywhere began to see something that they didn't have, and that was a confidence in death. And they began to follow after Jesus. They began to realize that he is the way, that he is the truth, but he is also the one who has life. Doug read this morning from John chapter 4, flip back there just for a moment, and the conversation about the woman at the well, that conversation just kind of went all over the place. But note how it begins. Jesus sitting there by the well and talks to her and says, woman, give me a drink there in John chapter 4 and verse 9, or not John chapter 4 and verse 7. The woman says, verse 9, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. Note Jesus' words. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In fact, he goes on and he says, verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will spring up into him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Isn't that what Ponce de Leon was after? Living water? Isn't that what so many people want? Something that's going to nourish their soul? Something that even though it is that this outward body is uh, perishing, as Paul would say in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, even though it is that, I'm going to be 43 this year. <laughs> That's old. <right? laughs> 43. And I'm thinking of already about how my knees don't necessarily work as well as I want them to and how it is that my back begins to hurt. But then I try and multiply and think out and say, what's it going to be like when I'm 60? What's it going to be like when I'm 70 or if God allows me to live as long, 80 or 90 or maybe even 100. I want something within me that's going to sustain me, even whenever it is this body wears out and fails. I want something that's going to cause me to be renewed in my spirit. 
something that's going to nourish me, even when it is that it seems that all hope is gone. Jesus says, I've got it. I've got it. I am the life. I am the life. If you want something that's going to change you from the inside out, Jesus says, I have it. Jesus says in John 6 and verse 63, the same book, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Where is the life, Jesus? They're in the words that I speak, he says. Whenever his disciples couldn't accept that saying, uh, they began to leave him. And Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, do you also want to go away? Peter makes that good confession. He says, Lord, where shall we go? You're the ones that has the word of life. And also we've come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. How abundant is your life? Brothers and sisters, you may be living what we call the good life. But if you're living without Jesus, you're not living the lasting life. The life that even if it is the bottom drops out of your finances and your, your, your uh, car and your family and all those things, that's still a life that God blesses. That's still a life that God cares about. That's still a life that can stain you even in the dark times because you have a hope that cannot be taken away by men. What a blessing. What a gift God gives us. Without him, brothers and sisters, without Jesus, what happens is we neglect our purpose here. You neglect your purpose here. Why are you here? Well, somebody invited me. <laughs> I'm, I'm just here for the food. Well, on a deeper level, if I were to ask you, why are you here? Some people would say, I'm here to pay the bills. I'm just here to try and scrape by. I'm trying here to, to, to just make ends meet. Your life is purpose for so much more than that. Isaiah 43, verse 7, God says he's created you to glorify himself. Bible tells us that you have an opportunity to glorify Him and to be something that, that, that shines a light so that others can see your good works and glorify your Father. Matthew 5, verse 16. Your purpose here is whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, to do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Your life is to abide in the words of Jesus, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word that you're, that you're here for is to do all in the name of the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Your purpose here is to glorify Heavenly Father. You know what would be most glorifying to Him? Is if you believed and understood that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that there is no going to God except through Him. The apostles in the early church would make this statement before those who would accuse them and tell them not to preach anymore in his name. They would say, we're going to obey God rather than men. We're going to continue to preach and teach Jesus because he is indispensable to us. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But then they would make this statement in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's purpose for your life, if you are outside of Christ, is that you be saved. And he has purposed the gospel. In fact, he's called us all by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. And he has called us all by his gospel, the good news about Jesus, that Jesus came here, and just like we observe this memorial, that he died 
for our sins, Isaiah 53, that he was crucified for your sins and for mine. And for the penalty of my sins and for the death that I was due, he took that upon himself. And he gave me favor where none was owed. He gave me mercy where wrath was due. He gave me grace where it is that I deserve death and punishment. And for that, I look at Jesus and I say, for the one that did that for me, I want to do everything that I can for him. I want to follow him faithfully as the way. That just means that I'm a traveler. I want to do everything I can for the truth. That just means that I'm an investigator. And I want to do everything for the life. That just means that I'm a seeker because I want to come and I want to be with him. One that would do that for me more than anything else in my life. I want to be with him for eternity. And so it is every day I live my life to his glory. And you know what? It's the abundant life and a life that he's promised you as well. But it means that you have to be obedient to the gospel. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Romans chapter uh, 6 and verse 12. And it is that through believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, recognizing that Jesus uh, came down, he lived sinless life, and he was nailed to that cross, and he had not done anything that was worthy of that death. But now it is, God gave him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess Christ to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2. And now it is, brothers and sisters, he is Lord. I have to understand, I have to believe that. I have to repent of my sins. I've done things that are horrible in nature. Those were the things for which Jesus was nailed to the cross. And that lifestyle, that way that I was going beforehand that was wrong, you know what? God says you've got to turn from that way. And as I turn from that way, repentance is turning and saying, I'm going to follow the way. I'm going to follow after him. Confession of Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And as it is, I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, the New Testament. Every single instance of conversion, of how somebody came to obey the gospel, how somebody came to know God through Jesus Christ. And you know what you'll find in the pages of Acts is that every single account that you find, somebody was baptized into water for the forgiveness of their sins. We don't ask anybody to do anything grand. We don't ask anybody to make a grueling pilgrimage to some faraway place in order to have salvation. All we're asking and all we're telling you to do is, if you want to follow Jesus this morning, and I hope that with all your heart you do, just do what he says. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, verse 38. Are you ready to do that this morning? If it is that you recognize the truth of the gospel and you want to be obedient to it, we'd love to help you. We'd love to encourage you and study with you. If maybe it is that you're here this morning and you need prayers, you need encouragement, we'd love to do that as well. What we're going to do at this time is what we call an invitation, where we're going to stand and sing a song. And if it is that you need the prayers of somebody else, maybe it is that you can just grab the coattail of somebody that's standing there in front of you, or uh, maybe it is you want to come down and make it uh, public. We'd love to pray with you and pray for you, whatever you need. We're going to offer that invitation now at this time. Let's stand and sing.